The beauty of, of today's service is about you interacting. So for those of you who are joining us online, thank you for joining us. At the conclusion of the message, we're going to sign off on our live stream, and then we're going to finish off the, the, the service with the practical aspects of uh, our service, our message today. I told you that uh, not to get too comfortable, right? Y'all looking at me like, oh, come on. I just sat down. I need you to get up. But before you do, but before you do, here's what I would like for you to do. If you are sitting with somebody, or if you're the, the people around you, I'm going to use this table here because this is my cousin. I'm going to call him out today. He's here visiting us. I haven't seen him in a long time. But he's here, he's in this table, and they don't know each other. This table does not know, the people sitting in this table does not know each other except with the, with the exception of my cousin and his wife. You can only sit at a table when you know only one other person. In other words, if you are a family of four people, I'm going to ask you to split. Okay? I am doing this intentionally, and you'll see why. Okay? You take your children with you. One parent with one, the other parent with the other. Okay, the idea is for us to interact. You will see that we'll come full circle. Now, not all at once. All right. I, I, see, I see we have some visitors. That's awesome. That's great. If you, if you do not know, I'm going to call a table out because I know who you are. All right. The idea is for us to sit with people you do not know. If language is a barrier, I'll take that into account. All right. Before I begin, I love seeing, I love seeing this. I love seeing this. The, the interaction, the uneasiness, the, man, do we really have to do this? Um, there is a reason for the madness. There is a reason for the madness. But the primary reason for the madness is what we're about to do now. So before I begin to open the Word of God, I'd like to invite you to bow your heads with me as we pray. Father God, we thank you so much for giving us this privilege of coming together. And I pray that you continue to work in us and through us. Lord, as we've just played musical chairs here in the sanctuary, I pray, Father, that our minds will not be detracted from hearing your voice this morning, that you speak through us, and, and, and that our hearts will be open to the moving of your Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus, friend of sinners, how many of you have heard that before? Okay. How about this? Jesus, friends of sinners and Pharisees. No, right? But did you know Jesus was a friend of Pharisees? He was. He had both sides of the spectrum. He was accused of, of hanging out with the uh, drunkards, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, but he also was known to hang out with the 
lawyers of his time, the theologians of his time. How do we know this? We're going to get into it today. Because Jesus was often called to visit with people. Jesus was often, is often portrayed in the Bible as somebody who would go and eat with, right? Somebody who would come and spend time together with people. There are about 12 or 13 times that the actual times in which Jesus sat down to eat with somebody is explicitly written in the Bible. Not to mention the times that are inferred that he was there, most likely he ate as well. Today I want to look at one of these. At one of these times. At one of these occurrences where we find that Jesus is sitting and eating. Sorry, I don't have lunch for you. Should have thought that one through. Maybe it would have kept you in your seats a little bit longer. No. Um, but Jesus loved to eat, and, and gathering is one of the greatest things that, that we can do as, as human beings. I, I love to sit down and eat with people. And so here, Jesus, in this text, I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to read this through all all the way, and then we're going to talk a little bit about it. Now it happened. As he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath. See? Friend of the Pharisees. That they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. And he took with him and healed him and let him go. Then answered Then he answered them, saying, Which of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. Mercy. We can spend a whole lot of time on this chapter alone. But I want to focus just on these on these verses right now, because when we look at this, initially it's as if there's, there's, there's something that's being played out here that's very interesting, and I want to highlight a couple of things for you. First of all, it says, now it happened as there is, it was planned. This was planned. Jesus received an invitation for him to come to a lawyer's house, a theologian's house, because he, they wanted to invite him and have dinner with him and possibly entrap him. The Bible doesn't tell us that, but it gives us clues. It gives us clues because it says that they watched him what? Closely. Have you ever noticed or been to a dinner party or or to a restaurant when somebody comes in that's not usually the type of profile for that particular place 
or that is somebody that you do not know and they stand out, because I'm sure Jesus stood out in, in, in this crowd of Pharisees and, and lawyers, and etc. But when you're, if you've ever been in an environment where you look and, and you start watching that person kind of closely, you, you're looking for something to happen out of the norm. And this was the attitude and the atmosphere in which Jesus walked in. Now, notice that he was the guest, right? Usually, who starts the conversations? The host. It is usually the host who, who engages the guest and says, Hey, how was your day? What's going on in your life? But Jesus notices something that's out of the norm, which was somebody who had, the Bible says, dropsy. That meant somebody with a skin defect that was usually filled with fluid. Now, if you're a, if you're a good Bible student, you will understand that this is not supposed to be taking place. Because back then, those that were sick or ill could not be in the same room as those who were clean, ceremonially speaking. Those who were healthy could not be in the same room with those that were unhealthy. This was law. And who was there? It was the theologians. It was the lawyers. The Bible also tells us is that it was not the host who initiated the conversation, but who? Jesus. And what was the question he asked? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Think, let's think about this for a minute. There are three, there are three okay, occurrences in the Bible in which this question is asked. Is it lawful, blank, on the Sabbath? No, this is not a sermon about the Sabbath. We're not going to go there today. But there are three occurrences in which Jesus was asked this question. And here, Jesus now is, is the one who initiates, is it lawful? Every other occurrence, is, Jesus is being asked a question, but now he asks the questions to the lawyers and to the theologians. Is it lawful? He, re he reversed the whole thing and put it on its head. Rather than waiting for the guests to be engaged by the hosts, Jesus engages the host and the other guests by asking a question that could be labeled as almost an entrapment. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? As I began to do some research, I, I, I stumbled upon an article that was written in 2015 from the Jewish Chronicle. Did you know that they struggled with this very question till not till recently? Is it lawful, blank, to do this on the Sabbath? And as I, I found it fascinating because this dealt with doctors who were being called in to perform either surgeries or, or last-minute uh, checkups. And so th from a Jewish perspective, this was something that was very troubling. Culturally speaking, it was accepted, but the 
theological aspect of this question was still weighing heavily on their minds because they wanted it to be approved, or how does the Bible, or they call it, as they call it, the Torah, how can we justify my work of healing people on the Sabbath through the Bible? Was their question. And so they went back, and they started looking, and they started searching. And so they stumbled upon a text found in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5, where it says, Keep my statutes and laws and judgments, and you will live. Hmm. So... When they did, this, this is what was said, published in the journal. Jewish people can observe Torah law only if they do not die. I mean, that's pretty obvious, right? You need to be alive to live within a set of rules. But when you think about the implications of this, if somebody is dying who is ill, how can they fulfill the law? And this was the philosophical question that was going back and forth. So they understand that you need to... It's not like a person is alive. If they're healthy, they're good. If they're unhealthy, they're, 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 they're lost. That was the mentality. That was the, the reality in which Jesus lived and the people in which Jesus contemporary culture believed that if you were unhealthy, you were lost because your parents or yourself or somebody in your family committed a sin and therefore now you're paying for it. So when Jesus sees this man with dropsy and asks the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Jesus was not just addressing the question of the Sabbath, but he was also addressing the issue of humanity of life and the importance of us as human beings how we are viewed as humans before our audience so being healthy is not just about physical health but also spiritual health and so when he said this, based out of that text, obey my statutes and my judgments and you will live in them, this is the conclusion. That in order for you to live, in order for you to observe the law, you can't die. You need to be living. Therefore, to practice medicine is justified by the law, by the Torah. Pretty neat concept, huh? I bet you didn't think about that one before. But wait, it doesn't stop here. Because the Bible revealed, tells us that Jesus, looking at this man, he spoke to the Lord, is it, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They said nothing, verse 4. And he took him and healed him and let him go. Whose job was it to have removed that individual from their presence? It was the host. The Pharisees, the law, the lawyers, 
the people who knew, who were experts in it, if they were looking to follow the letter of the law, they should have removed this gentleman. But now Jesus takes the initiative and says, listen, is this lawful? They said, nothing. Okay, go. You're, you're healed. And he sends him off on his way. And the room is quiet. You can hear a pin drop. Because you have to read what comes afterwards to really get a good understanding of the, the situation. It's like one of those moments where it's like, awkward. And it just stays awkward, and it gets even more wark. Here you go. I'm going to invent a word. War awkwarder. Okay, I know that word does not exist. But the situation became awkward, and it became more awkward, and then it became more awkward. I'll let you read the story. I'm not going to get into it, though we could. Because Jesus was focusing on something, and this, here's the direction where I want to go with you. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus calls, tells the disciples, or excuse me, the, the Pharisees, he says, but he kept silent, and he took with him and healed him and let him go. And then he said, which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day. Jesus is not talking about the context. The issue here is not about fulfilling the letter of the law. Jesus is now comparing our sense of value, our sense of worth. Because he's now equating, he just healed the man, and he's saying, wait a minute, you think this is unlawful, but how many of you are going to take a donkey out of a ditch? How many of you are going to, if your, 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 your dog breaks its paw, how many, how many of you are going to go and take care of it? But yet you leave the sick unattended. Jesus is not addressing the letter of the law. Jesus is, is addressing our sense of, of values as, as humanity, as humans. And he continues on. And this is where I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles with me to John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, we find Jesus is at the very end of his ministry on earth. John is one of those interesting books because where you have the majority of the other three Gospels Jesus' ministry is, is, is written in the entire, thank you, Daniel, is, is comprised in the entirety of the gospel letters. John focuses the majority, or at least more than half of it, towards the end of his life. And so here in chapter 13, we find something really interesting. Remember, keeping in mind that Jesus talked to, as he addressed the Pharisees, he was addressing the value of humanity, right? He's addressing the, our sense of worth. And now he's, we fast forward into Jesus just about to be crucified. And in verse 31, he begins, he calls, the, he's with the disciples in the upper room. He says, so when he had gone out, Jesus said, this is Judas. And if you remember, we had our, 
our communion service, and I, I described to you how people were laid out, right? So they were leaning on one hand, actually on their, on their left hand. They're leaning on their left hand. The person is here, and we saw that that was John, right? And who was to his other side? Judas. So when, when the Bible tells us that Jesus lean, spoke to Judas, he literally, he leaned over and he said, what you need to do, do quickly. It wasn't out so everybody could hear it. But it was enough so a few could. And that's why the Bible says that when he left, the disciples thought he was going to take care of, of official business. They had no clue. Jesus did. And so now, he says, when he had gone out, this is Judas, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. Jesus is alluding that he, this glorified and glorification that is about to take place is this death that's, that is imminent, that's about to come. He has been forewarning his disciples for a very long time, and and he continues, if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I love this. He talks to his disciples as little kids. Little children. Grown men. Fishermen. Rough. Foul mouth. Little children. I love the, the irony in all this. I shall be with you a little, a little while longer. You will, <clears throat> you will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another and by this you will know, or all will know, that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Question. True or false? Make it easy for you. Is this a new commandment? True? False. How many think it's false? How many think it's true? How many of you don't know? Not sure. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair question, right? Because the words of Jesus is a new commandment, right? It's not new. Open your Bibles with me to Leviticus chapter 18. Actually, 19. Leviticus 19. I'm going to start reading from verse 11. And it says this. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 11. It says, You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not cheat your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. 
You shall not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear your God, I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In, in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go about as a talebearer amongst your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is not a new commandment. Jesus, when he brought his disciples, he's saying, listen, I've been trying to tell you this for the longest time. I'm not here to deliver you from the oppression of the Romans. I'm here to purchase you so that you could be with me. Because remember, he goes on, right? In John chapter 14, it's one of the most famous quoted scriptures that says, in my Father's house, let, wait, before you get to there, it starts with a word of encouragement. It says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house there are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. But I tell you where I'm going so that you may be with you. For where I am, you may be also. See, this, Jesus was putting in this conversation, in the context of Luke, he's, excuse me, he's putting the context of value as the primary concern from God's perspective. And he's asking, and the lawyers say, wait a minute, do you value your donkey more than the person standing right next to you? By this you will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. When people look at you, do they see a, a disciple of Jesus Christ? Or do they see somebody else? Do they see a disciple of Jesus Christ who loves and, and follows his, his writings? Or do they see a Pharisee who's more concerned about the letter of the law? Or do they see somebody who's more concerned about everything else around except loving your neighbor as yourself? At the same time, understanding that Jesus places a high value on life and humanity, more so than the letter of the law, knowing that he paid a price for you, How does that change your approach to Jesus? We're getting ready to sign off here, and I pray that as we continue to look at this, we're not done here. But I pray that as you who's visiting us online, that you will continue to 
Look at Jesus' words and remember the value that he places on you as a person. You are invaluable to him. He gave his life for you. Because you are, more, you are worth more than a donkey. You are worth more than a mule or, or an ox that has fallen on the ditch. Because he didn't come to die for them. He came to die for you and he came to die for me. And so Jesus places value on your life. And I pray that that becomes a word of encouragement to you this morning. So thank you for joining us, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. God bless you.